Chapter 5 of The Whispering Eye by G.T. Fleming Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Brand of Light. But Barbara Sutton had seen the face of the Black Hood. She saw it on the following night when a group of wealthy and influential citizens met at Grace Lawn, the West End Avenue estate of William Weedham. Barbara saw Black Hood's face without knowing it for in the identity of Kip Burland he had been with her all evening. It was a pleasant face, sun-bronzed and well-formed, with waving brown hair and eyes that could be gentle and compassionate. Kip Burland had taken Barbara to dinner, much to the annoyance of Joe Strong, and later in the evening they had picked up Joe and driven in Barbara's car to the Weedham home. Barbara was obviously deeply concerned over the evidence which Joe Strong had accidentally turned up. The picture of Black Hood in the apparent act of thrusting a knife into the throat of the Weedham Industries watchman had been plastered all over the front page of Jeff Weedham's daily opinion. Other newspapers had taken up the cry, demanding that the Black Hood be taken, dead or alive. When Barbara mentioned this news story to Kip Berland, Kip scarcely knew what was the wisest course to pursue. If he defended the Black Hood, he ran the risk of exciting suspicion. The secret that Kip Berland and the Black Hood were one and the same persons was more precious than ever now that Black Hood was wanted for murder. "'There's just one thing, Babs,' he told the girl as they drove to the Weedham home. "'Nobody can tell me that the Black Hood and this criminal genius known as the Black Eye are the same. I can't believe it.' "'Listen, Berland,' Joe Strong put in angrily. "'You're not sitting there and calling me a liar, either.' All these stick-up jobs recently have been planned by the eye. You'll agree to that, no doubt. That one last night at the Weedham Works was the same sort of thing. Every possible witness murdered. And I not only saw the Black Hood with my own eyes, but I took a picture of him, and then he and I had a little scrap. How does it happen that the Black Hood isn't right down in Tombs Prison now? Kipperland asked mildly. "'Well, er,' Joe stammered, "'some of his men pitched in to help me from behind. Uh, "'There must have been three of them, anyway.' Berland could scarcely repress a laugh. "'Only three? Why, you're slipping, aren't you, Joe?' The bickering might have gone on the rest of the evening, except that Barbara Sutton had told them they were both being very foolish. If Kip didn't stop his arguing, she wouldn't vouch for him at this meeting tonight at the Weedham home. She and Joe were to cover the meeting for the daily opinion, but she had simply brought Kip along as a friend, trusting that that would be enough to get him in. Barbara Sutton's name was a prominent one in social circles, as was that of Joe Strong, so that there was no difficulty gaining admittance into the Weedham home for Kip Berland. In the magnificent reception hall, Kip was introduced to Jeff Weedham. The lanky heir to the Weedham wealth was cordial. D -d "'Don't you see why you want to sit in on a stuffy meeting like this, just for pleasure?' Jeff Weedham said, smiling. "'But I can assure you that any friend of Barbara's is a friend of mine.' The tall oak door of the library was opened by William Weedham himself, a plump, white-haired man with black, overhanging eyebrows. "'Son,' he said to Jeff, "'we're all ready to begin.' As the owner of a newspaper which is instrumental in molding public opinion, 
you ought to welcome this opportunity to serve your community jeff weedham laughed since the eye or the black hood whatever his name is swiped my roadster d -d don't you think i'm not interested in laying him by the heels d -d dad william weedham brought scowling eyes to focus upon kip Burland. i don't believe i know this young man he said jeff said this is kip Burland, a friend of mine d -d dad he wants a tryout as a reporter and I thought I'd let him help cover this business together with Joe and Barbara. And that fixed it up. With a whispered warning to Kip to try and look like a would-be reporter, Jeff Weedham led Berland into the library. The elder Weedham took his place at the head of a long refectory table about which were seated six men. Some of those included in the committee, which had been formed to take protective measures against the master criminal known as the Eye, were familiar to Kip Berland. There was short, beefy Sergeant McGinty, a representative from the police who was to serve as coordinator. McGinty, Kipperland knew well enough, was the most ardent enemy of the Black Hood on the police force. Then there was the cocky little man with sandy hair and one glass eye. He was Major Paxton, a retired army man and brother-in-law of William Weedham. Paxton made his home at the Weedham estate and quite naturally had been included in the group. The tall, grim man with the long side-whiskers was Harold Adler, an executive of the Banker's Express Service. Certainly he had a grievance against the eye after that attack on his guards and armored truck at the Weedham plant on the night before. Kipperland also recognized the handsome, energetic man with the sleek black hair and small waxed mustache. This was Jack Carlson, who operated the Atlas Auto Livery and some sort of trucking concern. Just exactly why Carlson should have been called into this group, Kip did not know. He knew something of Carlson's past, perhaps more than even Sergeant McGinty did, and there were some blotches of shadow on Mr. Carlson's life story. William Weedham wrapped the meeting to order, remarked briefly that they had come here tonight to see if some definite plan could not be formed to cope with the ever-rising danger of a major crime wave, planned and directed by this man who called himself the Eye. "'We are fortunate,' the elder Weedham said, "'in having Mr. Carlson with us tonight. "'It has been frequently said by the police "'that if taxi companies and other common carriers "'would cooperate with the law more closely, "'there would be much less chance for the criminal to escape. "'Mr. Carlson has a message for us, "'which I hope will be representative "'of all members of all taxi and transport systems.' "'It seems to me,' Major Paxton put in, his small body swelling with importance, "'that the crux of the whole matter lies in the fact that these criminals, "'who are operating under the direction of the eye, "'have discovered some foolproof means of escaping from the scene of their crime. "'Is that correct, Sergeant McGinty?' McGinty's face reddened. "'I don't know whether you'd call it the crux or not, Major. "'But in any crime, if the criminal has some foolproof means of escape, as you put it,' There isn't a whole lot the police can do about it. Somebody snickered. It was obvious that Major Paxton's remark hadn't been a particularly bright one. But I'll say this, the sergeant went on. This fellow the eye, and I prefer to call him the Black Hood, has developed a means of moving criminals beyond our reach to a hell of a high point. The sergeant coughed and apologized for his bit of profanity. I mean, 
"'He's got a hole in a police dragnet big enough "'so you could drive a whole mechanized division of army through it. "'If Jack Carlson can throw any light on the matter, "'I'd like to hear him do it.' "'I think, gentlemen,' he began, "'that you will find a few taxi operators in the city of New York "'who would not gladly assist in halting an escaping criminal "'if they were given the opportunity.' and the same goes for any other common carrier the railroads bus service and airlines at the same time common carriers are obliged by law not to discriminate against a prospective passenger just because he may look suspicious that is if i'm driving a cab and a man rushes out of a bank with what i may interpret as a look of guilt upon his face I cannot refuse to take him as a fare, nor can I very well ask for his fingerprints and check up to see if he has a criminal record before taking him to his destination. We all know that, Carlson, Harold Adler said. Suppose you tell these men what you told me before the meeting. Carlson frowned, remained dramatically silent for a moment while he twisted his mustache. Kipperland watched the man closely. If this was acting, Carlson was a remarkable actor. Somehow he could not trust the man, nor the words that came from his mouth. Carlson said, The eye has not only organized various mobs of gunmen in this city, but he has accomplished something else. He has established a perfect underground railway for transporting these criminals from one place to another in secret. I know because the eye personally asked me to handle that part of his business for him. There was another dramatic pause. Then Sergeant McGinty sprang to his feet. Say, Mr. Carlson, if the eye approached you personally, let's have it right now. Is the eye the same guy known as the Black Hood? Carlson smiled. It would seem so from the picture which appeared this morning in the Daily Opinion. Yeah, Joe Strong put in. That's the picture I took. No one was paying any attention to Joe. All eyes were focused upon Jack Carlson. Understand, Carlson continued. I did not meet the eye face to face. He called me on the telephone, spoke to me in a whispering voice. He asked me if I would be interested in a money-making proposition. I played along, tried to draw him out. He wanted me to employ cars and trucks for the secret transportation of criminals in exchange. I was to get a cut of the money, which would be looted by his criminals. And, Weedham said, you believe that some transportation company in this city is actually assisting the eye in this business? Undoubtedly, Carlson said. I, of course, rejected his offer. I was attempting to figure out a plan by which I might trace this call to the eye's hideout, but that's quite difficult in these dial phones, you know. But that is how the eye is working his getaways. He probably has carefully placed stations all over the city where criminals who are fleeing from some crime can get a fast car or hide in some unsuspicious-looking truck to be transported beyond the reach of the law. It would appear to me, 
every light in the big room suddenly went out smothering blackness dropped like a shroud over those at the refectory table and upon barbara sutton joe strong kipper land and jeff weedham who were seated along one wall d d damn jeff weedham stuttered what's this the well-known blackout a white beam of light stabbed through the french windows at the end of the room spotted the wall directly above jack carlson's sleek head in the center of the spot was a crude sign projected in black lines upon the wall it was like a child's drawing of a human eye round staring and at the same time infinitely menacing kipper land was on his feet while the others remained spellbound by the band of light watching the projected sign of the eye upon the wall he nevertheless moved swiftly and silently toward the french windows the sign of the eye flicked out and in its place was a message in black letters carlson has defied me he will die berland waited for no more but slipped through the french windows and onto the terrace the white beam of light rayed out from a thick grove of shrubs and small trees on the other side of the big yard. Kipperland raced across the lawn toward the source of the light. End of chapter 5